Um, I'm delighted to be here. As James said, I'm Belinda Goldsmith. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Thomson Reuters Foundation. And I think I met a few of you last year when you came up to the wharf, which is like a million miles away from Oxford. And it's lovely, lovely to be here for the day. Feel you can breathe. <laughs> and in this room that's just so international, it's just wonderful. I'm very excited to be talking to such a great group of journalists from, from all over the world. Um, so, Thomson Reuters Foundation and myself, I've been at the foundation since last June, so I'm, I'm quite a newbie. I stepped into Tim's shoes, he'd been in my job previously for six years, seven years. Um, I was with Reuters previously for 20 years, um, before that I've been a journalist for 10 years, so don't work out how old I am, but I'm over, I'm over 21. Um, <laughs> I was recruited by Reuters from Papua New Guinea, where I was the correspondent for Australian Associated Press. And I worked for Reuters in four different countries, um, living in four different countries, and I've reported for about 25 different countries, going on assignment, covering political news, general news, financial news, natural disasters, all sorts of things. Um, I lived in Australia, I lived in Sweden, where I was the chief correspondent of the Nordics and the Baltics, uh, travelling around the Nordics and the Baltic region, which was fantastic. I went back to Australia as their chief political correspondent for a few years working very much in the bubble of politics, which I don't know if anyone's done it, but you really, you get obsessed by politics. Um, I then went to New York for four years, where I was um, head of investment banking, running our Wall Street coverage, which was an experience, and then made the very unlikely move to become global editor of entertainment and lifestyle, which was quite a shift. <laughs> and spent a lot of time in Los Angeles covering various different celebrity stories and lifestyle stories, which was a real change before I came, became global head of editorial learning, running the training for all of the journalists and writers, including our trainee programme. I then was in London and I became the chief correspondent for, for the UK, covering the Scottish referendum before I moved across to the foundation. So it's been a big shift for me. Um, reporting the unreported wasn't something I was doing for 20 years, but it is something I'm doing now, and it is quite a change. So what I'm going to do today is explain to you a little bit about the foundation, briefly, but then about the news and what my team does at the foundation. Ooh, wrong one, that's it. That's it. So the foundation. Basically, and very simply, if you don't know what we do, and Tim will explain more lately, we have four columns in the foundation. One of which is news, reporting the unreported stories, underreported stories, which I run. Then we have media development, which is about training of journalists, setting up media partnerships and promoting free and independent journalism globally and Tim will explain more about that. We also have a, an area that's been a great growth in the past three years called Trust Law, which was when we put together law firms with NGOs and social enterprises from around the world, and they'll pitch a project and we'll put them with a law firm that provides pro bono legal work. This has been a, a huge growth area. We now have 2,200 members of Trust Law, and the target is to hit about 3,000 in the next year. That the, my, our CEO noticed a sort of hole in the market there, and this has been an incredible area of growth. And then we have Trust Women, which every November we hold, it's like we've had it for three years now, we hold a conference for two days in London. One day is focused on putting the rule of law behind women's rights, and the other day is on human trafficking and modern-day slavery, which, as you all probably know, is a huge area, and it's a growing area, and it's a global industry that is worth billions and it's incredibly sad the effect it had on people's lives. So that's Trust Women as well. So there's the four areas. What do they have in common? They're all about impact. What we're looking for, we're non-profit, 
We are looking for impact in various fields. And Tim will explain more of what we do in journalism in a minute. So editorial, what I'm going to talk to you about is who we are, what we do. Here we go. It's the five W's and the H. I'm sure you all recognise that. So I'm missing one W because I couldn't think of a when. But anyway, who we are, what we do, how we do it, why we do it, and what next? What are we looking at doing now? So, who we are. Well, we are a group now of about nearly 30 staff reporters, um, of which about 10 are overseas and the rest are in London. Um, and we have a network of about up between 80 and 100 stringers globally in all different places around the world. We really want to report colour from the ground on different stories. So this, our stringer network is very important. And Tim was very, um, played a big role in building up that stringer network over the years. Uh, we've got a couple of people in Bangkok, one in Delhi, uh, one in Bogota, one in Senegal, one in Kenya, one, two in New York. We've got one in Washington. Uh, I think that's about it. And we have offices in Beijing, Joburg. Cairo. Oh, sorry, Thailand. Yeah. Uh, Cairo. Cairo, Cairo as well. Yeah, so a, a board spread. But we still like to have stringers in countries as well, local countries. So that's who we are. I'm the editor-in-chief, so I'm based in London, where we also have, um, we have a team of about three sub-editors who are constantly subbing our stories. And we have um, a team of production people who make sure our website's up to date, upload stories, uploads pictures, etc. Fills any comments on our website. What do we cover? Well, we have four main areas of coverage. One of which is humanitarian crises, and this is where our news found our news started from in the beginning. It started after, was it Rwanda, Tim? Mm -hmm. After Rwanda, when they noticed, when the top foundation realised there was a lack of communication going on between people on the ground. People didn't know what was happening. So the foundation became a key conduit to let people know what was going on with the different agencies and the different groups so there could be better coordination. And it grew from there. Uh, we will cover any humanitarian crisis. Of course, there's some enormous ones going on around the world at the moment. We keep a close eye on them. But what we do, which other people don't do, is we continue to keep an eye on them. So after they've dropped off the headlines, dropped off the pages of many newspapers and media outlets, we continue to follow them. Um, and we also look at when something's happened, like, for example, Malawi last week with the flooding. Suddenly the flooding stopped. Everyone else has moved their focus. We're still looking what's happening to those people in Malawi. Thousands are stranded. You know, what's going to happen now on disease? What's going to happen with those people? What's happening with aid? We continue to look at what's, what, how people are being affected by these, by these disasters. Women's rights is a big area for us. Um, that could include things like FGM, as you probably saw this week in the UK. It's the first FGM trial going on. It's something that's, you know, more and more is coming into awareness. We cover it a lot. It's one of those areas that hasn't been reported a lot. And the more people become aware of it, the better. It needs to be discussed. It should be discussed in governments. It should be discussed by NGOs. It should be discussed by people. And increasingly, it is being. As I say, it's the first trial this week in the UK, first prosecution, uh, which is interesting to watch and see what, what happens with that. Child marriage, education, discrimination, all these things come under women's rights. And these are often issues that aren't raised enough. And we try and do stories with human faces to raise awareness about what's happening and get people talking about it. We're not campaigners, we don't advocate, we just want to raise awareness of underreported stories. Climate change is another one. Climate change, we, change, we cover climate change, the human impact of climate change. So what we're looking at is when you've got rising sea levels, what happens to those people in those coastal communities? You know, when you've got um, rising global temperatures, what happens to those people who've no longer got water? We look at the human impact of climate change. 
we have three people working on that, mm. one looking at food, one looking at, and two looking at climate change. Of course, this year, it's a big year on, in the world on cli the climate change agenda. Mm -hmm. And then we look at corruption. And under corruption comes as well human trafficking and um, slavery. As I say, this has become a really big area. The latest figures, and who knows what the real figure is. The latest survey that came out said it's worth 30, there's 36 million people in the world at the moment who are modern day slaves. This is by Walk Free, they, it's in the second global slavery index. They've been criticized for methodology, but how do you put a number on it? But the, whatever the number is, it is shocking. And the stories you hear about people in modern day slavery are horrific. And it's not just happening in Thailand and India, it's happening in the UK, it's happening in France, it's happening all over the world. It was underreported for a long time. It's one of the issues we are trying to raise awareness and get people talking about it more and more. And hopefully, then it leads to some change. Um, and corruption as well. We look at corruption of various different forms and so, so what sort of social harm corruption can do, how it affects communities, how it affects vulnerable people who just don't have a voice. So those are the four main topics that we cover. And you can see that there's big topics under each of those and some really interesting areas that really don't get a lot of attention. In 2014, we had a look to see what our most read stories are. And I thought I'd just show you that, because it just gives you an example of the sorts of stories that we, um, we do get a lot of attention to. Now, the most read story we had last year was a, a story we did about Thailand and about rising HIV among gay men. Everyone thinks HIV, oh, it's done, it's finished, we're over. And Thailand was meant to be one of the crunches who really did it well. But it just this happens that HIV is now rising amongst the gay community in Thailand. So, of course, the question is, well, why? What's happening? We thought the awareness was out there. We thought it was all finished. As this was a story that got a lot of attention. People were very interested in this story. The second story that was most read was um, dropping sex education in Niger by, from, uh, after Muslim leaders urging. They've, the Muslim leaders made a real push to get sex education dropped off school syllabuses. That one got a lot of attention. The third story we most read was lesbians flee to Senegal as Gambia cracks down on homosexuality. LGBT is an area that is largely underreported. And we find stories we do about LGBT highlighting some of the discrimination or the laws that are anti-LGBT get a lot of attention. And this is a growing area, and we're going to see this get bigger in future years. Um, the fourth story we had, the fourth story we had was a first-person account we find those can be really powerful. And this is the first person account, which the headline was, the, the killer, I was like an animal. It was a Hutu, and he was, um, he'd killed, I think, nine people, and he was jailed for eight years for killing nine of his neighbours during the genocide. And now he's come through that, and he's sort of saying, well, what happened to me? Why did I do it? What was going through my mind at the time? It was a really interesting read, because you remember that situation. It was horrific. These people were killing each other daily, their neighbours, their friends. What got them into that state of mind? And this was a really good first-person account from him. And it was very interesting to read that one. Mm. And the fifth one was a Somali Mam. I don't know if anyone knows her. She was one of the big anti-trafficking campaigners. And she had this really sad personal story about the fact that she'd been um, forced into the sex industry and she'd been sold, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, people started digging around a bit and found her story wasn't true. And they said, is it true that your story, you've made this up? She refused to say anything, but she resigned from the foundation. And she was such a powerful figure. It, it shook that sort of industry, didn't it, Tim? You know, the fact that she went, because she was so powerful as an advocate anti-trafficking. 
Um, she has now actually, just this last month I think it was, she's trying to set up a new foundation and she's trying to get funding. Whether she does or not, I don't know. Whether her credibility good can ever, that. good luck with that, Christ. <laughs> Whether she can ever restore that credibility now, I don't know. But it was a really widely read story because she was such a big figure. Belinda, can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, from that list, I'm amazed that the second story, Niger drops sex education from the syllabus. Mm. It was the second most read story. Second most the read other story. ones I understand. Yeah. I, I remember the Who's a Good and so on. How, do you know where the traffic was coming from? Or how, how on earth did that be? Because, you know, that really is an underreported. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And some yeah. would say of marginal interest. Right, right. Uh, to, to the world. Yeah. Niger, but I suppose you could say the schools. Yeah, but you could say because it was a Muslim-led campaign to get it taken off the mm. syllabus, people thinking, well, how much sway should there be on religious grounds for getting things like sex education removed from children's, you know, schooling? Mm. So maybe mm. that was why. That's the only reason I could think that people saw that broader context of that story, mm. because it is an interesting. Why would that be so widely read? But yeah. you know, you can you can see the first ones, can't you? You can see HIV. Yeah. We thought it was done. We thought it was finished, but suddenly it's rising again in Thailand. Our stories also go on the Reuters distribution system, so go to all of Reuters media clients globally. Now, we never get numbers on those, so we never know out of those stories that go to all the sort of key newspapers, websites, etc. around the world, we never know which of those are the top read. So what sort of numbers are we talking about here? On these, we'd be talking, oh, I haven't got the numbers with me, but we're talking about hundreds of thousands hundreds of on thousands, these. Yeah, yeah. Over the year. Over the year, yeah. And it's funny how we'll get some stories, we always joke about this in the office, we'll get some stories that might be from a year old, and they pop up again, it's most, and every website has this problem, mm. they pop up again, it's one of the most read, you think, what, that donkey story is back again, or, you know, that witch story is back in the most read. And you can't get rid of them, you know, and for some reason, you know, isn't it? Yeah. So that's the only way we can just do it off our website. So it's not an ideal metric, but it's just interesting to see the different sorts of stories that get read. Um, so, how do we judge success, which comes down to numbers again? Well, what we look, we're non-profit, so what we're looking for is we are looking really for impact. We're all about reporting the under-reported stories so that we can raise awareness, raise discussions, and get people talking about it. If it leads to action, fantastic. It's hard to find out what action it's led to, but we do try and track that. And we're talking over lunch, actually, about the Gates Foundation and how they try and track it. We, don't, we haven't got nearly so sophisticated a measure. It's more just a case of reporters coming back and saying, hey, this story is now being discussed in Parliament. This story is now being discussed by this group or has caused a petition, whatever. That's the sort of impact we want. We want people to talk about our stories and about these issues. Um, we also, of course, we look at our website traffic, but it's not perfect. We go out on the Reuters wire. We never know what sort of numbers we get off that. We're just impossible. Of course, we're active on social media, so we can see what things get tweeted or retweeted. Again, it's no perfect metric. So it's across the whole band, from social media, our run in the media, what we get on our website, but also trying to keep a track on impact, what sort of impact our stories have. So the sort of things we've had, for example, we had a story last year, which was about a Canadian company in the Democratic Republic uh, of Congo, I'm just going to jump two slides there, Democratic Republic of Congo, and we affect as a Canadian company, and doing really badly, it was a listed company, they were doing very badly, and all the private investors started to pull out. So this company went to development agencies and said, any chance of funding us? So development agencies from the UK, I think it was France and Spain, said, yep, yeah, I've discussed it, and said, yes, and they put money into this company. 
So that's really taxpayer money is going into this company, in this Canadian company, running palm oil plantations in DRC. You think, fine, until you discover that this company is only paying its workers a dollar a day and they're living in really bad conditions. So we did a story on this, and of course, in the true Thomson Reuters style, where all our reporting is fair, accurate and impartial, you go to everybody involved in that story, from the development agencies, to the company, to the workers, to the unions, to everybody, and ask them about their view on it and what's happening, including the company. You never leave the company out of it. You give everybody the right to reply. And we call that no surprise journalism. When the story comes out, nobody is surprised by what you've written. Nobody involved in that story is surprised by what you've written. You have been completely honest and transparent about what you are writing about. So you'll say to the company, is it correct you're paying your workers a dollar a day? And if they say no comment, you say in your story, the company said no comment. Um, and you say well, how you found out they've been paying a dollar a day. So you give everybody in that whole story the right to reply. Two weeks later, after our story was published, and we had no complaints about the story because everybody had their chance to comment on it, two weeks later, the company went out and employed a consultant to find ways to improve the working conditions of the workers. And we think, yes, fantastic. We weren't, advocating, we weren't advocacy, we weren't campaigning, we were just raising awareness of this issue, and it led to change. Um, another one we had last year out of interest was, each year we do a poll on women's rights, which is just before our, women, our Trust Women Conference. And this year, we did the most dangerous transport systems for women. So we thought, well, how are we going to do that? How do we choose cities? So what we did was we chose um, the largest capitals and um, went and polled in those cities. We had YouGov, the polling company, helped us with it. We also did some polling of our own as well. And what it came out with in the end was that three Latin American cities were the worst. It was Bogota, Lima, and Mexico City. You think, well, that's interesting. Three Latin American cities are the worst for transport for women, for sexual harassment, feeling safe traveling at night, etc. Why is it? And so we went out and talked to women in those cities who all said, well, we don't even bother to report at half the time. It's such a culture of impunity. What's the point? And it's a situation in those cities where the sexual harassment of women is so bad, it's just accepted. Which, of course, it shouldn't just be accepted. And so our survey came out, and um, our CEO was, I don't know how many media interviews a day it came out, 20, something like that. She was everywhere, CNN, Al Jazeera, she was everywhere. And um, it started a discussion in the Bogota Parliament. And they're push, trying to push through a law now against sexual harassment of women. Which was, and the mayor was called up, and people saying to the mayor on Talkback Radio, Why is this so bad in Bogota? Why haven't you done anything about this? In Paris, they found that the metro, women on the metro in Paris, have no confidence if they're attacked that somebody will help them. So in Paris, they started a petition Give us back our metro. And in London, London they didn't do so well either. So in London, they started discussions in the police about sexual harassment on women. Uh, sexual harassment of women, and I noticed today there's a story thinking about putting alarms onto trains for reporting sexual harassment. So it's interesting, it got the whole discussion going, and the whole dangerous transport systems for women became a discussion point on many talk shows, radio talk shows, TV shows, various media outlets went out, did their own vox pops on the streets of these cities. It raised the awareness, it got people talking about it. So that's what we talk about when we're looking at, uh, at impact. So that's two examples of impact. And a third one, um, we do a lot of coverage on violence against women in India. 
As you know, this has become a huge issue since that really awful gang rape and murder of the student in Delhi in December 2012 on the bus. Um, and we have a reporter there who does a lot of stories about women's rights and violence against women. And she did a story recently about these new sort of kiosks, like they're like an ATM kiosk, and women can go there anonymously and report domestic violence. So no one sees them do it, in they go, they, they talk into it, and the recording goes to the police. They don't have to sit down with the police, they don't have to go through all those sort of the questioning, etc. They just give their statement. And the, President, uh, the Prime Minister Modi took this up. He heard about our story, took it up, took it up in Parliament, and is now trying to make this a nationwide scheme. So again, great, we raise the awareness, it's led to discussions at high levels, which hopefully will lead to some sorts of change. So that's how we try and measure impact. Unfortunately, we don't have a graph, we don't have a metric, we can't sort of plot it. Maybe one day we can, but at the moment it's just more anecdotal and just those sort of successes where you think, well, that's what we're meant to be doing, that's what our work's about, making change and raising awareness of these issues. So every year, of course, beginning of the year, like any media organisation, we think, OK, what's coming up this year? What should we be focused on? Where are we going to spend our money? Because, of course, we have a limited amount, like everybody. Uh, where will we go on trips? And so we sort of sit down and write a few of the things we think are going to be the big issues this year. And you might agree, you might not. Syrian refugees, huge, one of the biggest humanitarian crises of our era, um, largely unreported. The situation in northern Syria is horrific. People can't get there. They have to cross the border illegally. The situation in Iraq, where all these people are going, you know, it's winter. It's, it's going to continue. It's not getting any better. There's no end in sight to it. Ebola, the numbers look like they're sort of plateauing a bit now. You've got three countries there, you know, Sierra Leone, Liberia and Guinea, were already impoverished, already struggling. They've been hit by the worst outbreak of Ebola. How are they going to recover from this, even when the disease is under control? How are they going to recover? How long is it going to take them to rebuild? So Ebola is something we'll be looking at. As I said, slavery, enormous industry. We're trying to follow where people come from, who these people in the supply chain are, who's making all the money, because there's lots of people involved now making a lot of money out of slavery and trafficking. Um, and where, what countries are doing to bring these people to justice. That's the other thing, you know, trying to make sure that the laws are there, that people are actually prosecuted. Climate change, huge year for climate change. Talks are ongoing. Is it all going to work? Is it going to collapse again like Copenhagen? Will we see a change this year in Paris? So that's a big area for us. And those are the main things we do. We might do questions now, perhaps after Tim's had a chat. Perhaps yes, have any questions then? Okay. Okay.